All right, so today we're going to discuss a little more about Kriya Yoga, and we'll begin with uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, or Mr. Davis's uh, The Science of Self-Realization, the commentary on the Yoga Sutra. And in the second chapter, Patanjali begins, and he says, Tapas, Swadhyaya, Ishvara Pranidhana, Kriya Yoga. That is, that Kriya Yoga is comprised of these three elements, three aspects, three the, like the three legs of a tripod that all help to keep it stable. And uh, the first tapas is self-discipline, intensive self-discipline. Second is Swadhyaya. This is self-study, the study of the nature of the self, with the capital S, the true self, and the nature of the self's relationship with this larger reality. So it is the study of what we are and how we interact and interface with uh, ultimate reality. And finally, Ishvara Pranidhana is defined basically as letting go of the ego or feeling ourselves to be one with all that is, to be one with God, to be one with this expressive reality not separate, but together, whole, already. So uh, so I find it's useful first to talk about the swadhyaya, the self-study, because it's through this process of examining and watching and being mindful of what we're thinking, how we're feeling, and what we're doing, how we're acting. So the thinking, the feeling, and the acting, by paying attention to these, we can notice the things that are in harmony with life, in harmony with the laws of life and unfolding processes uh, that are in harmony with what we can <clears throat> imagine and see to be the ideal for ourselves and for ourselves in relationship to the individuals around us, our environment, society, and the planet. So we observe everything that we do. We look and we see how am I thinking? What am I thinking? What are my reactions or responses to conditions? And then as we observe these, we can ask ourselves, is this useful? Uh, if we find that we're becoming fearful, anxious, worried, having doubts, then we can simply stop for a moment and say, why? You know, I know this is not in harmony with my ideal expressive nature, the universe was not made to be worried and anxious and fearful. It was made to be joyful and to express. And so <clears throat> if I'm finding myself experiencing these uh, moments of anxiety or fear or worry, then I can look for the cause. What is the basis? What is behind the scenes that is bringing me to this point where I'm feeling anxious or worried or fearful? In the same way, we can look at uh, other conditions, other emotions that come up, anger, uh, resentment, remorse, um, all these conditions, these emotions that may play up through our, through the instrument of our mind brain. Um, we can look at these and then ask ourselves, is this useful? Does this have a, 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 a valid purpose that, we, that is useful? Um, in bringing me forward and helping to co cooperate and serve life. And if it's not useful, then we can say, what is the cause? What's going on here? Why am I experiencing this? 
And then having had this awareness, having had done this study and looked at how it is that we may be able to adjust our thinking, our feeling, and our action to come into harmony with the ideal, then we engage in tapas, in the discipline, which is to make changes, to intentionally uh, intentionally decide what it is that we will do in order to come into harmony, what it is that we will do to remove and release the non-useful, the habits, the wasting of time, uh, the, the emotional nature that bubbles up and is not particularly useful and zaps our energy and our, interferes with our immune system. So what is it that we can do to make changes in our discipline, our tapas is just simply deciding, okay, I'm going to take this action. I'm going to do this. I'm go no longer going to be fearful. I'm uh, instead going to be confident and trusting the universe. I'm going to learn to do this. And this is a process. Um, and all these changes that we make, if it was just very easy, we would have made them a long time ago. So some of the changes we make require some energy, require some focused attention, remind, require being reminded again and again, this is what we're, we've decided to do, this is our intention, and we're going to stick, stick with it, see through it. And if we find that we fall back or we find that these conditions continue to emerge, then we look at them and make a new resolution to move forward and to change. And so tapas, the actual word tapas, the Sanskrit word means to cook, to heat. And so in the same way, transformation takes place in this cooking, in this heating, just like we cook our food in order to transform it to make it easier for us to assimilate and to metabolize. And then we cook it in the agni, in the, in the fires of our digestion, and break it down and allow it to be assimilated. And so in the same way, the cooking of our intentional thinking, feeling, and acting allows us to make changes that will be assimilated, be metabolized, become part of us. And so in time, as we keep our attention focused on discipline, on self-study, observation, discipline, observation, discipline, how are we doing? Um, do we need to make some more changes? Do we need to uh, renew our resolve? Um, until we finally perfect this being. You know, the masters that we have so much reverence for and so much love for, especially our masters in the Kriya Yoga tradition, are masters because they were able to master their thinking and feeling and action. They were able to rise above these habitual tendencies that uh, most people have, and it sort of, you know, comes with the program when we're very young, and we're able to make the transformate, uh, transformation, make the alterations in their thinking and feeling and acting to come into harmony with what is the ideal for them and for their ability to serve. So this is why we call them masters, and there isn't any reason that we too can't be masters. This is what they've all told us. They say you're, you should be, you know, you should have the uh, intention to be like us. See, the, the only thing that is 
um, special about our masters is that they stayed with the, they stayed the course. They continued the process until they were fully uh, in charge of their life, in charge of their thinking, their feeling, their acting, and allowing themselves to move into this larger awareness of their true nature as one in harmonious uh, oneness with everything. Uh, and it's very difficult to have that experience of oneness, of wholeness, of really the super conscious awareness. And we say super conscious, that is normal consciousness. And, and Mr. Davis would say again and again, normal consciousness is blurred, fragmented. Uh, it jumps around. It's not focused. Super means above or beyond. So super consciousness is above our normal waking states of consciousness. It is focused. It is attentive. It is mindful. So we are paying attention to how we're thinking, feeling, and acting. This is, and then being intentional about how we think and feel and act. This is super conscious. And this is a, a level or a state of awareness. So we can think of consciousness as like the container, the uh, circumstances, the events, the things that we are perceiving and interacting with. All this is part of our consciousness, conscious awareness, interaction. And there is a level of awareness behind that that is the witness, the seer, the observer, that is never uh, part of the situations, the circumstances, the events, what's going on. It's always perfect. It's always perfect, pure. It's always whole. It never changes. It's never affected by anything in the world. And so this awareness sits above or sits beyond even our consciousness and our interaction. So, so awareness becomes identified with the character, with the ego, uh, with the sensation of being a character, uh, having a personality. You know, the word personality comes from the Greek word persona. And persona meant, <clears throat> in Greek, meant mask. This was the mask that the players would wear uh, when they were doing their theater. And, of course, they didn't have amplifiers and microphones. And so in order to be heard in the audience, they designed these special masks that had a mouth that was a little megaphone. It had a little, it was a little... A uh, little horn that when they spoke through would amplify the voice. And so persona, per means through, sona is sound. So persona, this mask, was the mask that the sound would go through in order to be amplified. So the persona that we have is the mask. This is the character that we are wearing, that we are identified with, the role that we are playing, and it is extremely useful for us to be aware that we are playing this role, but we are not the role. That we have adopted and we move through this character, but we are not the character. It is simply a temporary uh, opportunity to engage and to have this amazing adventure of a lifetime. But when the adventure is over, we are. Just like before the adventure began, we were or we are. You see, there's never, there's never a, a beginning or an ending to consciousness. 
And so temporarily we become identified with the character, we become identified with the persona, the personality, the mask, and we see it changing and evolving over time. We are not uh, playing the same role that we played 10 years ago, 20 years ago, for some of us 60 years ago, 70 years ago. <laughs> and so there's a constant evolutionary process in the character and in the persona but there is never a change in the witness and in, in the consciousness that is our true nature. This is this is fixed. This is always the same, never changing. And so our our Kriya Yoga practice allows us, gives us the ability to move into this experience, this awareness. So we have Kapa, Swadhyaya, and then the third, Ishvara Pranidhana. Ishvara. Uh, actually has uh, several definitions depending on which school of um, theology you're looking at. But for us in yoga, uh, Ishvara is synonymous with ultimate reality. So we say Ishvara, ultimate reality, and Pranidhana is uh, the easiest uh, definition is it is the sensation or the feeling of being one with, being inseparable from. And so Ishvara Pranidhana means to come into the awareness, come into the experience that we are one with this expressive reality. As Paramahansa Yogananda would say again, we are all waves on the ocean of God consciousness and the wave and the ocean are the same thing. There is no separation. Or we can use the example, uh, you know, we look outside and I see my rose bushes are starting to, to uh, uh, leaf out again and it'll be soon that there'll be buds and then there'll be beautiful little rose blossoms. And we look at the, at the rose bush and we tend to identify, we tend to look at the blossoms, the flowers, um, and we see those especially. And so we identify with the beautiful blossoms but it's all one bush and the, the rose is the thorns and is the leaves and is the branches and is the roots. This is all rose and there is no separation. And it's inconceivable to have a rose, a beautiful blossom without the thorns and the leaves and the branches and the roots. It is, it, it comes, it expresses out of itself. It blossoms out of itself. And in the same way, this universe is blossoming out of itself. There is no separation from any part of the universe. If we look at our uh, uh, cosmologists, so, you know, our our uh, physicists, and talk about the the evolution of the universe from the Big Bang, when from when it first began as some infinitesimal point of energy which contained every bit of energy that is in the universe now in some point smaller than the, head of a, than the, than the tip of a pin. Um, and this ex expanded, this was like the seed from which the universe grew and it blossomed into being through various stages. And in each stage, it became more complex and more interesting and eventually resulted in the universe that we see. And the universe that we see, they tell us every point in the universe is moving away from every other point. There is no center to the universe. It is a thing, 
and it's expanding, but there is no middle to it. And it's expanding, uh, increasing rate of expansion is moving faster than it did when it first started. It is blossoming, it is growing, it's evolving out of itself. And in its evolution, it developed uh, stars and um, galaxies and, and uh, uh, solar systems like we have and planets. And on this planet, this planet was uh, seeded uh, through consciousness and the interaction of minerals and atoms and all these little bits that were left over from stars doing their thing. And, and it seeded life and life has emerged. We can go back and look at how the evolution of life started off from some simple molecules that were hooked together that found that it was useful to be hanging out, several atoms making a molecule, molecules coming together and finding that it was uh, interesting for them to, um, to aggregate and then finally to learn to be able to reprodu reproduce themselves so they could bump into each other and eventually, you know, developing uh, uh, little rooms that they could hang out in, cells, and then uh, resonance between cells so they could create more complex organisms. And it continues. And it continues and continues. So this is, this is the universe. This is consciousness blossoming into being. And we are part of that. We are inseparable from it. And so it is useful for us to think about this, to contemplate this, to look at how intimately interconnected we are with everything on this planet and in this universe. So there, it, we can't even imagine being separate. Somehow we, we have this illusion, we have this identification that we are separate, that we are outside, but any little examination sees that this is foolish, this is, this is illusion, because we are deeply and intimately interconnected, not only with the environment, you know, we have these beautiful trees and these trees are, um, enjoying the benefit of the oxygen, of the, of the carbon dioxide that I am exhaling. So I exhale, I use up some, uh, in my metabolic process, use up some oxygen and combine that with some carbon and I put the carbon dioxide out. That's my contribution. The trees and the plants go, wow, carbon dioxide, I need that to make myself. So they take the carbon dioxide into themselves. Um, and they keep the carbon and make actually make themselves. They build themselves out of the carbon, part of which used to be me. And in their blessing, their gift in return is to give us the oxygen back. So we need the oxygen for our metabolic processes. They need the carbon dioxide for theirs. And we have this symbiotic relationship, interaction. And so we can look at this and, and, and contemplate, think about it. And we can see on a practical level, you know, we're not grow. most of us are not growing our own food, making our own clothes, building our own automobiles and transportation, um, uh, taking care of, uh, you know, developing a network so we can communicate with one another. These things are being provided for us. These things come as gift and grace from our interaction in this expressive reality. We come here in a time and place which is really quite awesome, really quite amazing, really quite um, interesting. It's a wonderful time to be alive. 
And, you know, we have these devices where we're in communication with nearly everyone on the planet. There's more, they, they tell me there's more computers and cell phones on the planet than there are toilets. So, you know, there's, there's a very wide uh, connection of our ability to be connected. I remember when I was in India last time, we had gone to visit Babaji's cave and and after a long day of hiking and going up the mountain and coming back down and and the last part is kind of a flat uh not really a road but kind of a road dirt road uh that comes around to where the the buses and the jeeps were to take us back to the ashram and so walking along this beautiful very warm day um in the in the himalayan foothills and we're out we're in the middle of nowhere i mean this is really remote very remote and i remember as we're walking back um uh to the connection point there's a young teenage boy walking toward us and he's walking along and doesn't even see us he's got his cell phone and he's sitting there texting with somebody someplace out in the middle of nowhere in the remote part of the planet and here is this connection you see so so we are connected and there are literally billions of people who are out there providing services for us, growing our food, uh, transporting the food to the grocery stores, stocking the shelves in the grocery stores, serving as the cashiers. And then somebody has to provide coffee for all those people. And so there are plantations full of individuals making coffee and shipping that. And uh, every piece, every individual thing that we have, our automobile is made of a gazillion parts and they come from all over the world. And they're the result of individuals providing their service so that we can be comfortable, so that we can communicate, so that we can have transportation, so that we can eat. And so, so we look at this and we see this global network of support and interaction. We do, we serve in whatever way we're led to, and each of us has a, you know, something that we can offer that's unique to us, and in the same way, we are served. And so this is not, there is no separation. This idea of separation being outside is totally illusory. However, the sensation, this idea of being separate, creates so much trouble, creates so much problem, because as we feel separate, we have this strong desire to be connected, to be included. We want to be, I remember when I was, you know, a little kid in elementary school, I wanted to be picked for the team. I wanted to be on the team, you know, and I was kind of the wimpy kid and not very athletic and I had chronic asthma and I couldn't run from here to the, you know, across the room without wheezing, but I wanted to be on the team. I wanted to belong. And in the same way, we all want to belong. We all want to feel respected. We want to feel like we're in relationship. We want to feel that we are part of the, you know, this ultimate reality. And there is this strong drive, this soul force, which impels us to reconnect, to feel and experience our connectedness. But as long as we feel separate and outside, we think, we imagine that there's something that we can do there's something we can acquire. There's some place we can go. There is something that can change 
that will fix this and that will allow us to feel whole, complete, connected, that will solve this problem of feeling separate. And so we are driven to acquire things. If I just get the right car, if I get the right new cell phone, if I have the right computer, if I have whatever the right stuff is, then I'll, then I'll be okay. You know, and people will appreciate me and I will be connected. Uh, or if I have, if I live in the right place, if I have the right kind of vehicle, uh, if I'm in the right relationship, oh gosh, the relationship I'm in now, it seemed like it would be wonderful when I started, but it turns out that, you know, I have some issues about this and it's not perfect and um, this other person really needs to fix a few issues. It's always easy for us to see problems with others. You know, this is part of this default mode where we find fault easily. Um, and so, uh, so we are always looking for something better. We're always, you know, being driven to make a change in order to feel whole, in order to feel complete. And of course, our spiritual masters, our teachers, tell us this is completely backwards. You know, you've got the cart before the horse. If you learn to be grounded and become aware that you are already whole, that you are already perfect, that you are deeply and intimately interconnected with everything, with this expressive universe and all the parts of it, the environment, the individuals, there is no separation. If you come to this awareness first, then when you move into the world and you interact through your persona, through your character, you have no needs, you have no compulsions, you have no desires that are strong that cause us to move, you know, to do things that are inappropriate or non-useful. Of course, we all have desires, you know, we have the desire to eat when we're hungry and, you know, to take care of the body and basic creature comforts, and that's fine. But the compulsive desires that drive us to do things that become habits that become addictions uh, you know we find that in order to uh, some some find that in order to avoid confronting themselves which has this empty spot which feels you know not picked for the team which feels um, incomplete in order to avoid that sensation of separation they do things to distract their attention and so they watch television, they go shopping, they, uh, you know, abuse substances. They do, do things to avoid having to come into this awareness that I am already perfect and whole. And this requires some tapas, it requires some cooking, it requires some discipline, showing up every day for our meditation. But just showing up for our meditation is not enough. So our Kriya Yoga path says, when you're finished meditating, when you've been, you know, become grounded or become as peaceful and centered as you can for that occasion, for that day, then get out in the world and pay attention. Swadhyaya, pay attention to what you're thinking, what you're feeling, how you're acting. Make conscious choices to, to become disciplined, to do the things you know you should do and avoid the things, avoid doing the things that you know are not useful. You know, this is pretty simple pretty straightforward. And if we go on in the uh, second chapter of the Yoga Sutra, the, the second sutra, the first one was uh, Tapaswadhyaya Ishvara Panidana Kriya Yoga. The second sutra 
basically says that the reason we practice Kriya Yoga is for two reasons. One is to experience samadhi, to experience oneness consciousness, to wake up fully to the experience of what we really are. So that's one. And then the other thing is to relieve suffering, is to remove the obstacles that create suffering. And so this is the the other reason that we are practicing, that we are involved, engaged in our spiritual practice. So we are engaged in order to wake up fully and in order to purify the mind and mind and brain and body and emotional nature um, so that we can be effective, so we can be healthy, joyful, um, and provide useful service. And Patanjali goes on to say, well, what are these obstacles that we have to overcome? What are the, what's the, what are the causes of suffering? You know, what, what's the underlying um, problem that results in our suffering? And remember yesterday we talked about cause and effect. There is, uh, there is always a cause that produces an effect and whatever we're living in right now is the effect of previous causes. So what are the causes of suffering? What are the causes of uh, this feeling of limitation and separation? Uh, what are the causes that lead us to inappropriate behavior, to habits, uh, to things that are just not useful? And he says there, these are five in nature. And the first one is ignorance. Ignorance, that is uh, not seeing clearly, not knowing what is. And ignorance uh, then results in the second, which is ego, the sensation, the feeling that I'm separate. So the sensation, the idea, the feeling that I'm separate from everything is based in ignorance. And then this feeling of separation leads one to become attached, that is attracted to the things that we perceive as bringing pleasure. So we remember pleasurable experiences, we remember things that we consider are good, and we try to recreate those, to have those happen again. And of course, we can never recreate exactly any experience. Each one is unique and new and uh, brings its own gifts to us. However, the tendency to constantly be trying to recreate things that are pleasurable, to cling to the things that are pleasurable, to become identified with our stuff, you know, with our, where we live, with our uh, vehicle, with our, you know, precious things. Uh, to become identified with that, attached to them. And we become attached, or we can become attached to the point where when something happens to our things, to our stuff, it upsets us and it affects us. You know, I have the constant, the, the, the classic story of the person that got his brand new Tesla, um, beautiful $90,000 automobile, and, um, parks it way out at the end of the parking lot at the grocery store. So he's not close to anybody. There's no chance of a door opening or something and getting a little scratch, you know, doesn't mind walking extra few steps to get to the store and comes out of the grocery store, pushing his cart and notices that somebody has inadvertently let their cart go. And the cart is now slowly making its way down the, down the grade toward this beautiful Tesla. And there's no way he can catch up with it. 
and when the cart impacts the car, there is a scratch. And so now there is this, ah, you know, it's broken our heart. We have we've become upset, angry, remorseful, um, resentful, um, and in our whole experience, at least for that moment, for that time, is kind of uh, laid to waste by this identification, this attachment with this thing. And of course, if we're mindful, if we're conscious, we go, well, that happened. <laughs> you know, <laughs> things happen, that happened. And, you know, we just have to, you know, take it down to the body shop and get the scratch fixed, which eventually we have to do anyway. The hurricane comes through, uh, blows the tree down, it lands on top of our car. We're upset. We are, uh, you know, uh, 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 totally uh, put out of, put off of our center, put out of our place. And we call people and we tell them about the terrible thing that happened. The hurricane blew a car, uh, tree down, it landed on my car, and. And after we go through the upset and we share this with everybody we know and we've had this conversation, then we call the, you know, the, the local uh, wrecking service to come and pull the tree off the car, pull, take the car into the shop and either get it repaired or call the insurance company to have it replaced and we deal with it. So we always have the option of uh, just dealing with the things that come up for us to be responsive or to allow the things that come up to, to put us off center and to cause us to be reactive. So attachments are the source of this suffering, this reaction. The next one is aversion. And this is to try to avoid circumstances and events that we have experienced as being painful in the past. So we remember, wow, this was very uncomfortable. This was painful. I'm not going there again. I'm, I'm not doing that. And so we push it away. So aversion is, uh, is ne like a negative attachment. So both attachment and aversion control us. They, uh, they keep us from being able to experience freely all the possibilities that are in front of us. And yes, we've had uh, painful or uncomfortable circumstances in the past, but I'm sure each one of us has also had the experience where some person or some experience from a long time ago that we once thought was unpleasant or um, or we weren't very or we weren't interested in repeating has turned out to change and we have a new relationship with it where it's beneficial and so so because our because we change inside and because our interaction and relationship with what's happening is constantly changing and being modified and we're oftentimes uh, interacting in this blurred, fragmented, uh, limited consciousness. So we're not really perceiving what's happening accurately. And so we make these uh, determinations, these choices uh, that are not based in what's real. They're not based in what's useful. They're not based in what's true. And sometimes we come around and we find, oh, the things that I'm really attached to that are really attractive are really not good for me and not useful and sometimes we find the things that we have had an aversion to i remember when i was a young child broccoli was one of those and uh, we later on come to find out that it's actually quite pleasant with a little butter and salt and so 
So we change. So attractions and aversions are controlling and we can move beyond those. They are also based in ignorance. And then the final, the fifth one is fear. And of course, in, the, in, in Patanjali, in the Yoga Sutra, it's written as fear of death, fear of uh, to cease uh, being. Uh, but all fear really has its ground, its roots in this feeling, this sensation that I will cease to be. And so when we're afraid that we won't be picked for the team, when we are compulsively chasing desires to do this or that in order to feel whole and complete, it's driven partially by the fear that if we don't do the right thing, if we don't find the right place, if we don't end up in the right relationship, that we will cease to be, you see, that we will be disrespected, that people will unfriend us on Facebook, um, that all the most terrible things we can conceive of will, will befall us and we will, we will just, uh, we will cease to be, we will not survive. So this is, this is an underlying fear that drives and motivates. So all these are based in ignorance. Ignorance, not seeing clearly, not knowing what is so. And we have this innate ability, we have this intuition, we have this inner knowledge, this inner knowing that's not based in external uh, information, it's not based in an accumulation of, of knowledge from outside, but this comes from inside. It is discerning, discriminating, the buddhi. And it always knows what is so, and it always knows what is best for us and what is right. So, again, when I was, uh, when I was very young, um, one of the early programs on television was uh, Daniel Boone. Daniel Boone, Fess Parker. Daniel Boone had a coonskin cap, and he was a... Uh, it actually lived in the area where I am here. He was out in the backwoods uh, in the early days of America. And and the one thing that stuck with me from Daniel Boone was the saying, it was like his motto, and that was, be sure you're right, then go ahead. Be sure you're right, then go ahead. And so we can always ask ourselves, is this right? Is this what's right for me? Is this the, the, the optimum? Is this the most useful thing I can do? Is this a benefit to me, to my family, to my immediate environment, to my society, and to the world, and to the planet? You know, is this, is this useful? We can ask ourselves for each thing that we plan to do, each action that we take, is, is this really in harmony with my being? And then we can make wise choices to move forward, move ahead in harmony with what we know to be the ideal, with what we know to be best for us. So, so this is Kriya Yoga, the basics.